0: From the hallowed hallways of Shedd High School, from WSHDLP Eastport, this is Around the World with your host, Cracklin' Jane, from Eastport, Maine. Stay tuned for historical 78 RPM recordings from around the world. We're broadcasting today from the the round-the-world Footwear Research Institute, whose motto is, Your shoes may be the sole reason your back is out. sole, get it? We research how fashionable footwear can lead to annoying health problems years down the road. Dozens of our artisans work eight hours a day, five days a week, creating experimental shoes that are health problem solvers. Jimmy Lunsford and his 1939 orchestra are on hand to paint a musical picture of these industrious workers. Here is Shoemaker's Holiday. That was Beatrice Wayne breaking in a pair of shoes in 1936. She was assisted by Gene Cardus and his orchestra. And we open with Jimmy Lunsford's musical tribute to the potentates of the patent Shoemaker's Holiday. We're on location at the Round the World Footwear Research Institute. Now let's mosey on over to the cowboy boot department. Cowboy boots were designed without laces to avoid getting snagged in the saddle and they're nice and tall to avoid rattlesnakes and keep the feet dry under muddy conditions. However, they're not generally a good choice for foot health. Before we go into the details, here is Cliff Weston with Tommy Dorsey and his orchestra with a 1935 request to be brought back to his boots and saddle.
1: Take me back to my boots and saddle. Mm-hmm. 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 Let me see that general
2: store.
1: Let me ride the reins once more. Give me my boots. And saddle, let me ramble along the prairie. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Rope and steers on old barres with my buddy Slim and Give me my boot and saddle. Got a hankerin' to be with a banjo on my knee, strumming a pretty western tune. There's a gallant Cherokee, and she's waiting there for me, waiting beneath the Texas moon. So take me back to my boot and saddle Mm -hmm. let me greet each blazing morn on the ranch where i was born give me my boots and saddle Ha 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 ha. Saddle.
3: My fatten leather boots, shining up my patent leather boots, I'm riding out with my lady love tonight, silk and scarf and battle leather boots, and hat and patent leather boots, I'm gonna strut my material tonight, get along paint, get along old paint, jingle them silver spurs. Yeah alone ain't gonna see if I ain't the hombre she prefers Shining up my patent leather boots Shining up my patent leather boots I'm riding out with my lady love tonight Oh today, ho de ho de ho de ho de ho de oh de my heart's plumb full of song. Oh, de-dee, oh, de-dee, oh, dee sing as I go along. Oh, de-dee, oh, oh, Ain't nothing worries me. Oh, de-dee, a dee do not you wish that you were me? Shining up my patent leather boots. Shining up my patent leather boots. I'm riding out with my lady-love tonight, Silken and scarf and patent-leather boots, Jetson hat and patent-leather boots. I'm gonna strut my material tonight, Get along paint, get along old paint, Jingle them silver spurs. Get along, ain't gonna see if I ain't the ombre she prefers Shining up my bat leather boots, shining up my bat leather boots I'm riding out with my lady love tonight it <laughs> Shining up my patent leather boots, shining up my patent leather boots. I'm riding out with my lady love tonight. Silken and scarf and patent leather boots, satin hat and patent leather boots. I'm gonna strut my material tonight. Get along, paint, get along, old paint. Jingle them silver spurs. Get along paint gonna be if I ain't the hombre she prefers Shining up my battle leather boots shining up my battle leather boots I'm riding out with my lady love tonight
2: a
0: two accomiums to the cowboy boot That was Elton Britt with his guitar, praising his 1939 patent leather boots. And before that, Cliff Weston with Tommy Dorsey and his orchestra, take me back to my boots and saddle. Podiatrists, a.k.a. foot doctors, warn against cowboy boots as a fashion statement. The thin soles don't provide arch support, and the lack of laces can cause heel slippage, leading to blisters. The small, pointed toe box is often responsible for foot compression and nerve irritation. Cowboy boots are fine if you're riding a horse, but they're not good for walking around. Bob Wills and his Texas Playboys will now weigh in on the matter with their 1950 boot heel drag.
4: All right,
0: that boot heel drag! Christine Chapman and her orchestra from 1944. That was bootin' the boogie. She was preceded by Bob Wills and his Texas Playboys with the 1950 boot heel drag. The cowboy boot is great for protection from rough terrain, but as a regular fashion statement, it can lead to plenty of foot problems. You are listening to WSHDLP Eastport. We're broadcasting this hour from the esteemed round-the-world Footwear Research Institute. We visited the Fabrication Department and the Cowboy Boot Division. Now let's head over to the Agency of Ailments, where our scientists are studying everything that can possibly go wrong with a foot. Here's a 1938 report by Woody Herman and his orchestra, The Flat Foot Flugie.
1: if you are
4: feeling low down <laughs> don't know what to do <that- that- and you want to show down Here's the only dance for you it's Flatfoot Ploogie with the floor, floor the Flatfoot Ploogie with the floor, buddy, the floor Flatfoot Ploogie <laughs> with the floor, floor Floor, door, floor,
5: door, floor, door ¶¶
0: We heard the Flat Foot Flugie, courtesy of Woody Herman and his orchestra followed by Bob Crosby's Bobcats with Bob Serky on the piano playing Bigfoot Jump, both of those from 1938. And speaking of big feet, it's recommended to buy shoes towards the end of the day when your feet are the most swollen. If your shoes are too tight, that's painful. and makes the whole day go rough. Don't assume new shoes will stretch out. Get ones that feel good right from the get-go. Now let's hear some more from the Round the World Footwear Research Institute's Agency of Ailments. Tex Ritter has an unusual foot problem, which he will now explain.
6: I came in here just to say hello and have a friendly beer. What well, two let the four and four let the more, now they're gone but I'm still here. Been a standing here at the bar all night A-quenchin' a fiery thirst That suds in my eyes with too many guys Till I feel I'm-a-gonna burst Oh, I can't get my foot off the rail, boys I can't get my foot off the rail I can lift my beer right up to here But I think I stripped a gear Cause I can't get my foot off the rail I drink the fall of my heart, earned cash Had plenty on the house. When it all began, I walked like a man, I'm left here like a mouse. You'd a better sin for the moving van, you'd better get two or three. Then tell them to tear this rail out of here and I send it a home with me. Cause I can't get my foot off the rail, boys. I can't get my foot off the rail. I can drink that corn from night till morn, and I could since I was born, but I can't get my foot off the rail. I love to sing and I love to dance and I love my gambling too but when I hear that they got no beer then I'll come home to you they say that liquor is a terrible thing you'll end up where it's hot but that suits me cause I wanna be with the only friends I've got oh I can't get my foot off the rail boys I can't get my foot off the rail. I can lift that rye up to my eye, but I think I'm a-gonna die, cause I can't get my foot off the rail. and I can't.
0: That was Hot Foot from 1920, Conway's band with George H. Green on the xylophone. Before that, Tex Ritter described his 1947 foot problem, I can't get my foot off the rail. Now it's time for us to visit one of our many off-site research locations to monitor the performance of our new line of steel-toed children's play shoes. We've equipped each child in an undisclosed family with a pair of these innovative shoes And every two weeks, we check on their wear and tear to enable us to make any needed ameliorations to the product line. Pipe down, you kids! Glenn, Tom, Steve, Genevieve, Pat, Bridget, Timmy. Line up and quiet down. Now, where's my hammer? Hammer. Okay, we've had one failure. We'll bring this back to the lab to analyze this opportunity for improvement. And in the meantime, here is Nora Bayes from 1923, Keep Off My Shoes.
7: kept rumbling, rumbling away, listen Willie, don't be silly, I heard her say, keep off my shoes, keep off my shoes, keep off my shoes, I like your dancing, I can't refuse, I can't refuse, I can't refuse, you're so impressed so you're a stepping fool, and the pride of the dancing fool. Your arms, I seem to float, but here's one thing that gets my goal. Keep off my shoes, keep off my shoes, keep off my shoes. It's irritating, no time to lose, no time to lose. Keep off my shoes. Stop hesitating, your dancing may be good, but my feet ain't made of wood. So keep off my shoes, keep off my shoes, why don't you dance on the floor? Wise, and they laughed right out with glee. Willie apologized and then silly and perceived. They kept dancing, he kept prancing, prancing about. Feet entangled, what a wrangle. Then she would shout. off my shoes. You're a stepping bull and the pride of the dancing school. In your arms I keep you close. Keep off my shoes, keep off my shoes, keep off my shoes. You're No time to lose, no time to lose, you keep off my game, stop hesitating, you're dancing, oh it may be good, but listen, my feet ain't made of wood, so keep off the shoes, off the shoes, why don't you dance on the floor?
8: gave them to me, with a lot of other things. Oh, and I think he brought an angel, with a pair of golden wings. Mother, I will be an angel, perhaps before another day. And cunning as he walks upon the street. Now I'm getting tired, mother. Soon to all I'll say good day. Oh please remember what I said. Father, I will be an angel. Perhaps before another day, oh, you will, dear my. mother, put my little shoes away.
0: Montana Slim, the yodeling cowboy with his 1941, Put My Little Shoes Away. This was preceded by Sand in My Shoes in a Danish version by Walter Bödkow, Hans Orchester, and the bevy of Brogan ballads was begun by Nora Bayes in 1923 with Keep Off My Shoes. You're listening to WSHDLP Eastport. We're at the Round the World Footwear Research Institute. Footwear is a serious matter if you have the numbness and pain of neuropathy in your feet. Bad shoes can trigger foot ulcers, infections, and even amputation. Best get a shoe prescription from your doctor if you're diabetic. And don't wear just any shoes. We hear next two 1942 Sugarfoot numbers. Jan Savitt and his top hatters will give us Sugarfoot strut. But first, here is Bob Crosby and his orchestra with Jink Lawson on the Trumpet, Sugarfoot Stomp. Savin and his top hatters with Sugarfoot Strut, and before that we heard Sugarfoot Stomp from Bob Crosby and his orchestra, both from 1942. And now let's wind down with One Foot in Heaven and One Foot in the Groove. Here's Von Monroe and his orchestra. One Foot in the Groove, that was already shone in his 1939 orchestra, which was ushered in by Vaughn Monroe and his orchestra with One Foot in Heaven in 1941. And this concludes the musical portion of Round the World today. We did some legwork investigating the Footwear Research Institute, where top scientists explore how shoes and boots can make or break your health. We toured the shoemaking department looked at the pros and cons of cowboy boots, saw some unusual and curious foot ailments, and reviewed interesting experimental shoes under development. You're listening to WSHDLP Eastport. This is Round the World with Cracklin' Jane. Now, speaking of odd podiatric pathologies, we hear now a 1945 episode of The Weird Circle, featuring a dramatization of the classic Ambrose Bierce story, The Middle Toe of the Right Foot. So let's listen.
5: The Weird Circle again, it's weird circle time at the Ogden's Playhouse. Tonight, we are to hear an adaptation of the Ambrose Beer story, Middle Toe of the Right Foot. To the mystery story fan, tonight's presentation promises keen listening pleasure. And now, the Ambrose Beer story, The Middle Toe of the Right Foot. Again, the immortal tale. The middle toe of the right foot. Uh, huh, huh. Well, there it is. Hmm, so that's the old Manton place, eh? Mm-hmm. Certainly a run down farm. Weeds growing rank all over and the house rotting away? Yeah. Do you think anyone will uh, show up to claim it tomorrow? Mm, Gertrude Manton's brother's been notified. That house has been empty now for ten years. Do you think Manton will show up? I wish he would. Manton killed his wife and children there. Well, what happened to this fellow Manton? I don't know. Never found a trace of him yet. (laughs) And you a deputy sheriff? Better shine up your badge and get busy. I'll find the murderer someday. Somehow. No wonder the ghosts live there. (laughs) It gives me the creeps. Oh, look, even the trees are all leaning to windward, trying to get away. Hm. Come on, let's drive on. All right. Come on. here, Ross will be waiting at the hotel. We'd better get along. <clears throat> Why don't you look where you're going? Why, I'm sorry. I was only... Now, a... Get out of my way. Some people are the clumsiest. Clack! Uh, good day, sir. I want a room. Hmm. Yes, sir. Gladly. Will you sign the register? <phone rings> Front. Uh, you will have room two twelve, Mr. Um, uh, Mr. Grosmith. Oh, uh, Mr. Grosmith, I uh, I think we've met, sir. What? A bumping acquaintance in the screen door just now. Well, uh... Uh, allow me to introduce myself. Ross, sir, editor of the Marshall Advocate. Glad to welcome you to our city. Are um, Are you here on business? If I am, it's my own business. My mistake, stranger. King. Oh, wait. you must be Mr. Sanchez. Yes, sir. How do you do, sir? Welcome to Marshall. Uh, it's good of you to meet us here, Mr. Rossa. We county politicians, like the deputy here and myself, can't get along without you great men of the press. <laughs> oh, shucks. Come on over here and sit down. That's right. Now, um, you want to talk about the Manton House first or the uh, corner? Oh, wait a minute. First, let's order something long and cold. Uh-huh. huh? <laughs> the Manton place will take care of itself. It's a good idea. That was a hot drive. Well, now, about this candidate for coroner, Russell... I can't see, King, why a man can't be a good coroner just because he's got a cast in his eye. Well, you know, Rosser, I, I have a theory that any physical defect goes with some mental or moral defect. <laughs> just can't help myself. I hate and always hated any kind of deformity in a man or in a woman. I infer, then, Mr. King, that a lady lacking the advantage of a nose would find it a hard struggle to become Mrs. Thomas King. Right? <laughs> <laughs> well, put it that way if you want, but seriously... I once nearly married a most charming girl who... Well, I, I was a kid lawyer studying at Harriston. Each time I came home here, I rushed over to the Brewers. I think I was really in love with Gertrude Brewer. She was lovely. Then, one summer afternoon, we were in the orchard. Her young brother was helping us gather fruit.
9: Oh, Tom, it's such fun to have you home. Even if for only these short visits. How's everything? Oh, just fine
5: and dandy. Oh, I have so much to tell you. They, they made me deputy sheriff. Oh, how wonderful. Ah. <laughs> uh, can't I see you alone this evening? Let's let's walk down by the river. Oh,
9: I'd love to, Tom. Sis! Yes. What is it, Ned? Here comes Manton.
5: He's tying up his team down by the gate. Oh, Gertrude, I, I can't stand that man. Why do you let him come here?
9: Why, he's very amusing, Tom, and very nice.
5: He's uh, very prosperous.
9: But I agree
5: with Tom, Sis. He's a queer duck. Got queer ways. Well, Ned, what, what do you mean? Well, uh, I went after Partridge with him and... He uses the craziest contraption. Yeah? How's that? He's uh, taken a long straight branch, stripped it, and on the end he's fastened a loop of wire that's sharp as a razor blade. A razor blade? Yeah. He sneaks up on a bird, then gets the loop over its head, and gives a quick jerk. And presto, bird's dead. Throat cut. Mm.
9: Oh, Ned, why does he do that?
5: Well, uh, there's no shot to scare other birds. Well, that's true, and a good idea if you want slaughter instead of sport. And when he's doing it, Tom... His eyes look so queer. oh Ned. Here he comes. But I'll see you alone tonight, won't I, Gertrude, dear? Yes, Tom, of course. Good afternoon, Miss Gertrude. Hello, Mr. Manton. <laughs> Just thought I'd stop by to see the prettiest peach in the county. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> oh, hello, Ned, my boy. Howdy, Mr. Manton.
9: Why, Mr. Manton, look. Your hands are stained.
5: Oh. Oh, well, I'm sorry, Miss Gertrude. I've been doing a pretty job of butchering. Finest calves you ever saw.
9: Oh. Um... Uh, this is our friend Tom King. He's been made deputy
5: sheriff. Oh, good old law and order. <laughs> well, howdy. Don't you ever take your cattle to market on the hoof? i prefer it my way. Besides, it makes for tenderer, whiter veal. <laughs> well, young woman, you look mighty near perfect today. Mighty near? I think Gertrude looks perfect always. Well <laughs> said, young sheriff. <laughs> I guess, by and large, that everyone will agree that Miss Brewer here is an absolutely perfect specimen. Oh, no flaws, no, no faults. Now
9: stop it, <laughs> both of you. <laughs> oh.
5: Well, as her
9: brother, I'll say she's easy on the eyes, but a perfect specimen? Ha-ha. <laughs> no, she oh. isn't. Now, uh, Ned, behave. Ned, what What are you talking about?
5: Yeah, you tell him, sis. Oh, the boy's crazy. Uh, what's he driving at? <laughs>
9: well, it's also silly. I don't know why Ned mentioned it, but the fact is, if you must know, I have only four toes on my right foot. No middle toe.
5: What? Cut off by accident?
9: No. I was born that way.
5: Oh, a branded filly, eh? (laughs) Well, you'll never stray from your owner, will you? Gertrude, I. I never knew that.
9: Why, it's of no importance, Tom. I never think of it.
5: Ah, it's cool here under the trees. Ah, mind if I sit on the bench? Oh, not at all, Mr. Manton. Here. I'll make room. Uh, uh, Take my chair, Manton. uh, I'll be running along. Oh, Tom, already? Yes, I've got some business in town. Important, really. You'll excuse me, Gertrude. So long, Ned. Forgetting me, eh? No. Goodbye, Mr. Manton. Oh, see you tonight, Tom. Goodbye for a little while. Well, gentlemen, I didn't go back that night, and that goodbye was not for a little while, but for a long time. Do you mean a defect in the young woman's foot made such a difference to your king? Yes, it's a curious obsession on my part, but I know that if I'd married that girl, I should have been miserable and would have made her so. But if the girl cared for you... She we'll... couldn't have cared too much for King, for she soon married a gentleman with more normal views. You mean Manton. I get it. That horrible house we passed the day. But uh, you said Manton killed his wife. Yes, he did. Hey, wait a minute. Oh, who's that coming out of the door? It's familiar looking. Oh, But it couldn't be. His name's um, Grossmith. Grossmith, huh? Yeah, a cheerful bounder if I ever met one. Nearly knocked me down when he arrived this afternoon. Hmm. Bit my ear off when I tried to speak to him. Oh, no interview? No interview. <laughs> what a nerve! He's sitting down right near us. Well, uh, I'm interested in this story of King's. Uh, tell me more about the Manton case, King. <coughs> uh, your friend seems to be choking. Let him choke. Go on, King. Well, there's not much more to tell. I spent several years in the county seat before I came back here. The next time I saw Gertrude Manton was one day ten years ago. I was in my office when I heard a knock on the door. Come in.
9: Tom, it's I, Gertrude Brewer,
5: uh, Gertrude Manton. Gertrude! Oh, it's good to see you again. Why, you look... Don't
9: try to be polite. I look old and tired and scared. And I am.
5: Well, what is it? Here, sit down and tell me. Tell me how I can help you.
9: Will you help? Ned's away, and I'm in such trouble.
5: Well, I've heard gossip that things aren't going so well at the farm.
9: They're not. It's awful. There are no more cattle. No more cattle? Well, I have heaven's same. why? My husband's killed them all. He cuts their throats. Oh. It's just sort of a passion with him. There were no more calves, so he killed our bull. Mm. Then he started on the cows. Our lovely, gentle cows. Every so often, my husband's eyes get a strange, glassy look in them. He wets his slaughtering knife and sort of fingers it with an awful smile on his lips. Hmm. Tommy's crazy. He ought to be put away, but what must I do?
2: Oh, now, now,
5: Gertrude, dear, of course I'll help you. Take Tommy. it easy. Now, don't cry. I won't, but Tommy,
9: he cut the throat of our last cow yesterday and... I'm so frightened. It's having a terrible effect on the children.
5: Now, now, see here, everything will come out all right. Please stop crying. I'm going to get Dr. Carter, and we'll drive out first thing in the morning.
9: You will? Yes. Oh, that's wonderful. I won't be afraid anymore. Thank you, Tom. We'll see you tomorrow morning, then.
2: Goodbye.
5: It's good of you, Dr. Carter, to drive out here. Miss Matten's an old friend of mine. Well, yeah, she's a fine woman, Tom. Oh, but that husband. Yeah. Doc, I want you to look him over. There's there's something very wrong. Oh, Nellie. Oh. 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 lovely sunshine. a <laughs> oh. oh, lovely day off. What a gloomy place this is. Hello, Gertrude. Gertrude. <laughs> she doesn't answer. Well, let's ring or knock or something. I'll try the bell. Oh, look here, Tom. The door's open. Hmm. Now, go on in. Gertrude. Where are you? Ah, this house has the emptiest feeling. Are you sure she knew we were coming? Well, we arranged it only yesterday. Oh, she must be here. There's no one in this room. Oh, hmm. well, let's go upstairs. Yes, you better. Come on. Doc! Doc, wait! Look. Get on the stairs. This... This thing... It's sticky.
2: Hmm. That's well, blood.
5: Dripping from. Hurry, Tom. Hurry up here. Good lord. Little boy lying by the banister. Oh. His throat is cut. Gertrude! Gertrude! Where the devil is she? Doc! Try the bedroom door. Tom, in here. It's Mrs. Manton lying across the body of a little girl. Both their throats slit from ear to ear. As tonight's Weird Circle tale unfolds, Many of you will note a familiar ring to the style of plot structure used by the master storyteller Ambrose Bierce, the incisive, racy style of the modern writer. Written before the First Great War, the middle toe of the right foot still carries the modern touch. In short, the works of good writers live on through the years. And now back to our story. Sheriff Tom King, years ago, had been attracted to Gertrude Brewer, but ended his courtship when he learned that she lacked a middle toe on her right foot. She soon married the well to do but eccentric Robert Manton. This marriage ended in tragedy, for several years later, the town was horror stricken to learn that Manton, in a frenzy, had cut the throats of his wife and of their two children. Manton escaped. The house has been empty for ten years. the story of the Manton murders and the morning I'll never forget well I don't wonder it's a horrible story Tom you may be interested to know that this Grossmith, or whatever his name is sitting near us here has been glaring at you and taking in every word you said why the impudence what what do you think we ought to do about it that's easy sir I think it would, would be better if you'd remove yourself to the other end of the veranda you are evidently not used to the company of gentlemen I'll not be spoken to that way why you will bread lout You've listened to every word we've been saying. Now, easy, Rossi. You're a bit hasty and unjust. This gentleman's done nothing to deserve such language. I'll not take back a word. This man has been annoying me all day. Hold that tongue of yours, sir, and I'll cut it out. You will, will you? Come uh, Rossi. It's the custom of the country to demand satisfaction for an unwarranted blow. I now demand it of you. I'll give it gladly. I have no acquaintance in this place. Uh, perhaps you, sir, will be kind enough to represent me in this matter. You mean me? Well, I... I don't especially like your manner or your manners, but I suppose I shall have a consent. My name is Sancher. Yours is Grossmith, I believe. Yes. Thank you, Mr. Sancher. And you, King, will act for me, of course. What's the matter? What are you staring at? He's looking at me, and I find it most objectionable. Why do you look at me like that, Mr. King? I find you very interesting, sir. You're giving me an idea. Oh, I've had quite enough of this. Get on with the arrangements, Mr. Sancher. Very well, sir. I'll toss a coin. As challenger, Mr. Grossmith has first call. If he wins, he may choose either the weapons to be used or the spot where the affair is to take place. Right. Satisfactory, gentlemen. Toss the coin. Here goes. What do you say, Grossmith? Heads. Heads, it is. Then I've got my choice of weapons. Yes. What do you want, guns? Certainly not. Knives. Boy knives, and I insist that it be a duel in the dark with knives. Knives. I thought so. You, uh, you like knives, don't you, Mr. Uh, Grossman? Now, hold it, Tom. It's up to Rosser to say where this duels to be. Well, I, uh... I'll speak for you, Rosser. As your second, it is my privilege to make the arrangements. All right with me, King. Well, then, gentlemen, meet me here in... in three hours. Right. It'll be dark then, and I shall drive you to the place I have chosen for this strange encounter. Mr. Sanson. I depend on you to buy the longest knives you can find in this town. I'll be here at nine o'clock. But for now, I've had enough of you gentlemen's company. Look here, Tom. What the devil have I got myself into? A duel. A duel with knives. And, just as he says, in the dark. But I didn't bargain to get ourselves into a mess like this. You realize that we have the choice of place, don't you? Well, don't worry. Nothing's going to happen to you, Rosser. Well, as second to this fellow grossmist, I must ask you, King, what's your plan? Is it some sort of practical joke? Not exactly a joke, Sancher. Well, uh, where is this place you have in mind? A rather appropriate spot. Remember the haunted house I showed you today? You mean where the Manton murders were? Exactly. It will be the most perfect setting. And now, if you and Rosser will only help me carry out my plan tonight when we get to that Manton house, this is what will happen. Go up, uh, all right. Here we are. Come on, get out, Grossmith. This is the place. What are you waiting for? I happen this is a trick. Well, of course, Mister Grossmith, if you're afraid of spooks, why... I'm afraid of nothing. I'm coming. Ah. The uh, choice of place for this duel was ours, Mister Grossmith, and we have chosen this house. Go in, please. It's dark as Haiti. Well, here, wait a minute. I got a candle. I'll light it. There, that's better. Now, here's the room. The dust is a foot thick. Yeah, these infernal cobwebs—they're like rotting cheesecloth. Come, gentlemen. I'll hold the candle high so you can look into the room. It is large and square, as you see. No fireplace. No furniture. Only this door and two windows, which are boarded up. It will be utterly dark. Mr. Sancher, is everything all right? I, uh, I think the gentlemen should remove their hats, coats, and vests. All right, but I don't see the sense to it. Shall we leave them here in the passage? Yes. Very well. And now, gentlemen, here are the knives. They are exactly alike. You may examine them by the candlelight, and while you do so, I shall search you, Mr. Rosser. Nothing. Now, let me hold the candle, King, while you search my principal. Right. Mm-hmm. Well, I'm satisfied. Well, Sancher, I think we're ready. If it is agreeable to you, Mr. Grossmith, will you place yourself in that corner, the one farthest from this doorway? Well, I can't see a thing. Feel your way along the wall. And now, Rosser, you here, in this corner, nearest the door. Right. Now, gentlemen, you are both in position. Remember, you are not to start fighting or move until you hear the closing of the outer door. I shall now blow out the candle. There. There's the darkness you asked for, Grossmith. We leave you now. Good luck, Rosser. Goodbye, Mr. Grossmith. Are you with us, Rosser? and here goes the outer door. All right, Rossa. Come out of that corner. My knife is waiting for you. My knife. I love a knife. I'll carve you up, you blackguard. Well, why don't you say something? Rossa, where are you? Come out of that corner. Very well, I'll get you. You sniveling fool, are you afraid? Uh, Oh, a corner. But I'm getting nearer to you, Rosser. Why don't you move? The door. Now. Uh, uh, There's no one here. Rosser, where are you? I'll get you. He's not in here. By heaven, I've been tricked. I'm alone. Alone in this house. What's that? Oh, I'm cold. It's getting cold in here. Oh. Oh, that glow of light. Well, who's there? No. You. You, not you. Not all three of you. No. Oh, go away from me. Stop.
10: Don't
5: come any nearer. I... No! Come in. What's the big idea of sending for me so early in the morning? Oh, hello, Sanchez. Hello. Did he get you here, too? Yes, he did. Well, Tom, what is it you want? Boys, that hoax we framed up last night doesn't look so good this morning. What do you mean? It's got me in a spot. You see... There's something about that fellow Grossmith I didn't tell you in Sancher. I drove right back to the house after I left you boys last night, and though I called and yelled at him, there wasn't a sound. He wasn't there. And he didn't come back to the hotel. Well, what do you care? I never want to see the fellow again. But I've got to find him. I never should have let him get away. Just what do you mean by that, Tom? Well, I mean just this. When Grossmith challenged you, I thought I recognized him. (laughs) Yeah. That fellow isn't Smith at all. Huh? He really is... Hey, hello, Tom. I guess I'm early. Ned Brewer. Well, I, I didn't expect you here this early. Well, I got tired waiting for you and the county commissioner. Mm-hmm. I'm glad to see you again, Ned. Uh, you know Sam Rossner, the advocate? Of course. How do you do? Welcome back, Ned. And this is the commissioner, Mr. Sancher. Uh, glad to meet you, sir. How do you do? I'm Gertrude Manton's brother. I uh, I guess so. Well, Mr. Brewer... The county will be glad to give over the custody of the farm, and since you're here, we might as well drive right out there and get the business over with. What do you say, Tom? Sure. I'd like it mighty well if Rosser here came along as a, as a witness. Well, why not? Of course. Make a good feature story for my paper. But I bet it will bring back powerful, unpleasant memories to you, Brewer, to see that Manton place again. I wish I didn't have to come out here. This place drives me crazy. Such ghastly recollections. I can't ever forget that day. No, nor can I, Ned. It was stark horror. Unbelievable. Poor Gertrude. What happens now, Mr. Sancher? Well, we wait here till noon. It's nearly that now. Good. And then, if no other claimant puts in an appearance, the state law says I hand the custody of the place over to you as the rightful heir. I don't know what I'll do with the place. I certainly never want to see it again. let's go inside. The door's unlocked. Well, there's nothing here for anyone to take anyway. Gloomy, isn't it? What a ghostly effect, that light filtering down from the upstairs windows. I remember this room to the right here. I thought so. It's empty. Wait. Come here, quick. What? What is it? What's in that far corner? I think it's a man. It must be Grossman. Hey, you! Hey, Tom, wait. This man's dead. Stone dead. Why, he can't be. Rosser, kick out some of those boards so we can get some light in here. Right. I'll help you, Rosser. All right. He's been dead for some time. He's rigid. There's his knife on the floor. But well, there's no blood on it. Look at his hands. Palms out and those claw-like fingers shielding his face. There's not a mark on him. See if you can help me lower his arms. Certainly. <sighs> there. Look at those wild, staring eyes and that half-open mouth. Can you figure out why he died, Tom? This man died of sheer terror. Don't you agree, Ned? What? Why, Ned, what's the matter? By heaven, Tom... It's Manton. Look, you saw him once at our place, didn't you? Yes, but he wore a beard then and long hair. But you're right. This is Manton. Manton? Grossmith was Manton. Tom, Brewer, do you see what I think I see in the thick dust? Where? It... What? There on the floor. I'm leading from the door straight across the room to within a yard of Manton's body. Footprints. Bare feet. Three parallel lines of them. This is awful. A woman's footprints in the center and... On either side, the marks of children's feet. Look at that. This nearest print of the woman's foot. The middle toe is missing. The middle toe of the right foot. Gertrude. My sister, Gertrude. We have brought you the story, The Middle Toe of the Right Foot.
2: Bellkeeper!
0: listening to WSHDLP Eastport. We've just heard a 1945 episode of The Weird Circle, which featured a dramatization of the classic Ambrose Bierce story, The Middle Toe of the Right Foot. Now, stay tuned for a 1950 episode of Suspense, about a gentleman in need of shoe repair, and things go downhill from there. Here is Too Hot to Live.
11: Suspense. Tonight, Autolite brings you Too Hot to Live. A suspense play starring Mr. Richard Widmar.
10: Hey, you! Freeloader! What? We don't sell tickets on this freak. Well, it was empty. I didn't think anybody'd mind. We're slowing down for a crossing. I don't want to find you when I come back. Where are we?
11: Half mile from Marcus Junction. Thanks. Forget the thanks, just beat it,
12: before somebody inquisitive starts asking questions.
10: Yeah, don't they always? (laughs) The train rolls by, slowing, and the crossing bell warns that death is here. I don't recognize it, though. I walk toward Marcus Junction, toward death.
13: In just a moment, Mr. Richard Widmark... in the first act of Too Hot to Live.
11: And now, with Too Hot to Live... and the performance of Mr. Richard Widmark... Autolite hopes once again to keep you in... Suspense.
10: The sun is 11 o'clock high... and starting to pucker the tar road... leading into Marcus Junction... I'm heading in. Sweat's beginning to streak through the old suntan uniform, and my shoes are sucking tar every time I lift them. The sole of one boot busts loose and starts flapping against the road. That's bad. A drifter needs a good pair of shoes, and I'm on the drift. Marcus Junction, no different than a 1,000 others like it. About a mile square of small buildings all pasted together. I walk a couple of blocks without finding a shoemaker. The town's almost empty this Saturday morning. And then a door opens ahead of me and a big man steps out. Really big, both ways, big high, big wide. He's wearing steel-rimmed glasses screwed up tight above the pug nose of his round face. And six full inches of hat brim circle the pink flesh like a halo.
13: Hi, good morning, son. My name's Benjamin. Benjamin Maxwell. Oh, good morning, Mr. Maxwell. Uh, say, uh, Benjamin, me... son, call me Benjamin. That's the handle that shakes his pump. What's yours, boy? Jeff Casey. Jeffrey or Jefferson? Jefferson. Jefferson. That's a good name. Uh,
10: yeah. Now look, don't uh, don't think I'm changing the subject, but uh, where can I get this fixed, Benjamin?
13: Well, pretty socks. Yeah, they are at that, but uh, who'll take care of this shoe? I'm going down to Stacy's for a Coke. Shoe fixtures right next door. Come along, Jefferson.
10: As we turn to walk, I see his left side, gun holstered high up on his hip, and a gold star with the word sheriff glinting in the sunlight.
13: Still wearing your old army clothes. I hear those duds wear like iron. You just throw them away when they start to rust. <laughs> Uniforms wear forever. These have seen their last war. What were you in, boy? Air Corps, Captain.
10: Pretty uniform, sweet pay, and lots of respect.
13: You miss it, Jefferson? Maybe I do. What are you looking for now? I'm not looking for anything, just living, more or less. Oh, man ought to find more to do with his life than that.
10: It's all the same to me. I could die today, and it wouldn't make any difference.
13: You got a bad taste in your mouth, but you'll spit it out someday. Mm. Say, how do you like this weather? If it gets any warm, it'll be almost too hot to live. In a manner of speaking, you understand. <laughs> yeah, I understand. Here's the shoe repair. I'll be next door. Leave your shoes and waddle in on them pretty socks of yours. i buy you a drink Coca coffee. <laughs> The shoemaker
10: tells me that my shoes will take a couple of hours, so I start next door to join Benjamin. I don't know, maybe I'm feeling pretty good, but I pull an old schoolboy trick of mine. I take off my socks, roll them up, and throw them on the counter with my shoes. Then I walk outside to feel the cool, shaded cement prickle up through the bottom of my bare feet. Through the store window next door, I see the four people in the restaurant. Benjamin waves for me to come in. Inside the entrance, a blonde waitress is arguing with a tall sliver of a man... ...who's showing about three inches of wrist and shin bone below the edges of his clothes. The squat, moon-faced grill man has his pop eyes focused intently on the argument. I I go in, in walk over to Benjamin and sit on the next stool.
13: Oh, Jefferson. Hi,
10: Benjamin. Came for that coffee. In a minute,
13: Rachel's about finished. try
14: Try it somewhere else, Pop. Let me alone now. I'm busy.
12: And all her sins must find her out. She's a Jezebel and kin only to the devil.
14: Yeah, yeah, yeah. You'll find it on the menu next week. Now find yourself a street corner. And get it out of your system.
12: Uh, you are bad, bad beyond all hope.
14: See you around, Pop. I don't hope.
13: The girl plays rough. Oh, that's just Rachel's way, at Jefferson. Hey, I, I see you lean to bare feet.
14: What's yeah. your friend having, Buster?
13: Benjamin, Rachel. Maybe smart to tack nicknames on people, but my folks figured me for a Benjamin, and I'd like it that way.
14: Sure, buster. Well, it be, soldier.
10: Black coffee, lady. And don't let the uniform throw you. I'm no soldier anymore. The Hollywood line of her mouth twists up into a lopsided kind of inviting grin as she turns to get the coffee. I watch the dark shadows that follow the rippling lines of her uniform as she moves, Rachel is quite a woman. All woman.
14: Coffee. Barefoot. Like you, soldier. Your friend's real pretty, Buster.
13: You think everybody's pretty.
14: He's a doll. You be around long, soldier?
13: Long enough to get my shoes fixed, Rachel. Rachel.
10: <laughs> you know, that name doesn't go with you.
14: It's a name. Too bad you're moving on Sue. New faces are scarce around here. Especially one like yours.
13: Well, I've got some law to enforce. Will I see you before you go, Jefferson? I'll find you, Benjamin. Do that, boy. I'm afraid to face that heat out there. Now, you behave yourself, Rachel. Yes,
14: well...
10: You like playing it tough?
14: Under it all beats a heart of gold. Mm-hmm. Tell me what it's like in the world outside, soldier.
15: Hey, uh, Rachel... Why don't
14: you put up some more coffee? Ten to your bacon, lover. I got company. Your boyfriend? Lover boy there? No, that's Kenny. He's keeping company with a hot grill.
15: You oughtn't to talk about me like that, Rachel. Not very nice. Well,
14: then, don't bother me while I'm with my friends. Hey, soldier, I'm off about now. Let you and me go out to the carnival for a couple hours, huh?
15: Hey, you.
10: You let her alone. Don't you go with her. You hear? Yeah, I hear, Kenny. Well, I'd, uh, I'd like to, Rachel, but, uh, how do I go barefoot?
14: Oh, forgot.
10: Got any other ideas?
14: Yeah, matter of fact, I live upstairs over this greasy spoon. Let's go up and mix ourselves something cool while we wait for your shoes.
15: You can't do that. It is nice. It don't look right. Don't it? Come on, let's go, Rachel. Don't you... No, you can't. I... I'll stop you.
14: I'll go hash some potatoes, lover. My arm, soldier? She... No. No, Rachel.
15: Hey, look, I'll get someone to, to tend here. I'll I'll come right up.
14: You do, and I'll barbecue you on your own grill.
10: We go out, and my feet scruff over the shaded pavement as we pass through the doorway on the left. I follow her up a flight of stairs and into a small box-like apartment. Living room, bedroom, kitchen, and bathroom.
14: Be it ever so humble, this is home.
10: Let's kick out a wall or something.
14: The windows don't help much, but the drinks will.
10: Hey, why do you have to lean into the kitchen? Why not just walk in?
14: Fresh varnish on the floor. The heat don't let it dry. It's a long reach for a long drink.
10: It's a long day.
14: Well, here you go, soldier.
10: Don't you believe in mixing anything with your liquor?
14: What for? The cubes will melt. Hmm. What do we drink to, soldier? The heat? The heat. Cools you off, don't it?
10: It burns its way down my stomach and explodes.
14: That's my pores open soldier. and the
10: perspiration oozes down. Yeah,
14: let's have another. She's still Spoiler. talking, but
10: I'm going numb.
14: Let's drink the to heat, my conscience.
10: No food, I shouldn't be drinking.
14: really
10: Who cares? I'm getting foggy. She's drifting closer. I don't know who kisses who first. Bitter tears, tears of loneliness and regret.
14: Let's drink Everything's to us moving this time. around, us?
10: like feathers in a high wind. You're real. Pretty. And sometimes one drifts in through the fog. We're drinking. How many? I don't. Breathing, sucking down scorching hey. air, hot, damp waves of heat Plumsy suffocating. Clumsy
14: Here's another close. glass.
10: Can smell perfume cheap, like tin earrings. Wow. Black rolling in, black velvet, and the shimmering heat, wavering like plucking a taut string, <laughs> wavering, wavering. There's a steady sound, sharp, smart little cracks. I tear my eyelids oh, my apart and a flash of ceiling Get whirls by. A purple myself. red mass is coming toward my face, and when it hits, there's a sound in the ceiling moving the other way. Laugh
15: this off. Laugh
10: now, I don't. You? A frozen kind of pain is seeping through to my brain, and I can make like. out a voice now.
15: Then laugh. I want to hear you laugh.
10: I get my hand up to my face and I wipe my eyes. Come on, wake up. My hand up. comes away you wet. You hear me? Sticky and red. The ugly purple
4: mask
15: comes. Awake ah. now? Uh. Swell. I got something for you. Let me alone. There, in the corner of the kitchen. See how she's lying there? Take your hands off me. That's how I found her. You beside her, your filthy hand's still tied around her throat. What's the matter with my hands? Dicky. what? That's varnish and blood, your blood. See that knife in her hand? She cut you, trying to stop you. You killed her. You killed Rachel.
10: He doesn't make any kind of sense. The bathroom doors open and I staggered toward it, stepping on broken glass, pain stinging, remembering bare feet, the open shower waiting for me. I turn the handle of the cold water and I half throw myself into the shock of the stream. I'm coming alive. Reaction setting. fright. He said I killed him. Hey,
15: Sheriff, Benjamin. Hey, Benjamin, come up here. I got a dirty killer for you. That lousy friend of yours
2: killed Rachel. Come and get him.
10: Kenny shouting out the window in the other room to Benjamin. I got to get away. I got to think.
2: What happened?
10: What? I get through the bathroom window out into the glare of the sun. My feet hit the scalding tar of the marquee. I scramble across it, drop to the street. A narrow alley, and I'm running down it toward the fence that blocks off the far end. A garbage can near the fence and a woman putting something into it. I jump, reaching for the fence.
2: Hey, what do you
15: think you're doing? Let me go. Let go. Pick up that garbage, you let crazy. Let go. I didn't do it. What do you I saw you kick it over. I'm not going to clean up that mess. I didn't kill her. Take your hands off me. Why would I kill Rachel? Why would you kill
13: her? All right, Jefferson. Come along and tell me why you killed Rachel.
11: Sir Richard Widmark in Too Hot to Live. Tonight's production in radio's outstanding theater of thrills, Suspense. And now Autolite brings back to our Hollywood soundstage Mr. Richard Woodmark in Elliot Lewis's production of Too Hot to Live, a tale well calculated to keep you in suspense.
10: Benjamin is leading me out into the sweltering street again. The sun burns into my flesh, accusing as if to cause the murder to flow out of my open pores. And Benjamin walks beside me again, not holding me, just talking, asking questions which I can't answer.
13: Why'd you do it, son?
10: I didn't kill her, Benjamin. I I, I don't remember, but I know I didn't sound kill her.
13: You do sure, Jefferson. Don't you know? Well, we were drinking. I blacked out. Drunk, unconscious, you could still move around. Could do what was done in that apartment. But I
10: couldn't. Why would I want to
13: do that? Maybe you played too rough. Maybe she tried to stop you, cut you with a knife. Why did you run away?
10: I, I was scared.
13: Kenny said my hands were around her throat. Well, i have to lock you up, and then I'll go back and have a good look around. Maybe I'll find something. And if you don't... Rachel's dead, Jefferson. Wasn't premeditated, but that don't excuse it. She's still dead. They'll try to hang me.
10: Why can't I remember what happened, what led to this? The sweat's rolling down Benjamin's forehead, collecting along the top of his glasses, sliding into his eyes. They smart and snap shut. He has to stop, try to rub the sting away. I slap at his glasses, knocking them off his face and grab for his gun. His arm comes down fast, hard, chopping at my hand, numbing the arm to the shoulder. The gun falls to the road. I run, hobbling up and down, lopsided, trying to get away from Benjamin and from the burning and torn feet under me.
13: Come back. You can't get far. I'll get you anyway.
10: I'm running again, down the burning streets, out to the end of town, toward the railroad. I run till my legs slide away from under me. And then I crawl, dragging a body that has no feeling, a dead weight that robs my arms of their strength. And finally, finally steel rails glisten ahead as I lay sprawled out, my heart and lungs going crazy in my body. Something... something something's... thoughts down in my chest spreads up to my throat spilling out of my mouth
2: (laughs) I've had enough
10: an hour has passed the sun is moving away toward the west no trains have passed but it's all right I know what I have to do now. Find Kenny, and one way or another, force him to tell the truth. For he must be lying. I lick my handkerchief and I wipe the dried blood off my hands and feet. I comb my hair, I throw away the army shirt and move back to town. Stepping gently, I make my way up the back streets to the restaurant. Pulling my pants down low to cover as much of my bare feet as possible, I step inside. There's a stranger behind the counter. Well, howdy. Hi. Say, uh, where is everybody in this town?
11: most are out at the carnival. Some are looking for a killer roaming around.
10: Yeah, I heard about him. Heard he was picked up a couple of miles out.
11: Good deal. You know, Rachel worked here.
10: Yeah, I know. Say, uh, where's Kenny?
11: Oh, he's out at the Clovis place. You wanted to be the one to tell Rachel's folks about, you know.
10: Uh, sure, sure. Well, I, I guess I ought to go out there and pick him up. I, I don't know the place too well. How do I get there? Just follow this road down.
11: About a half a mile out of town, you'll find a dirt cut off. Can't miss the mailbox. Thanks. Say, if you miss him, who will I say was asking?
10: Just tell him his cousin Jim was here.
11: Well, pleased to have met. Hey, you ain't wearing shoes. You, you're the one. You're the killer. <laughs>
10: Run again, another alley, blistering pavement, cement ripping in the jagged rocks again. Time's running too, running out. Benjamin will know where I'm going. Out to the main highway, pants pulled low and thumb up in the air. Ah, here comes my ride.
15: He's got to stop. He's got to stop, please.
10: Happen, son. Oh, thanks. Thanks, mister. Thanks a lot.
12: Yeah, welcome, but I'm not going far.
10: Well, I- I'm just going out to the Clovis farm.
12: Yeah, I know the place.
5: Why are you going there now?
10: I'm a cousin at Kenny's. I'm going to meet him out there. Oh? I don't please you. I'm visiting from back east.
2: <laughs>
10: You're not wearing shoes. <laughs> yeah, that's a silly thing, isn't it? I, I lost my shoes while wading barefoot in a stream. Didn't help my feet any. Uh,
12: what stream is that, fella?
10: Well, you know the one. I, I I don't know the name of it. It's it, it's out there in the woods. Oh, yeah. yeah. I think I know the one. Yeah, this is the dirt road you want. The yeah, house
12: is over the rise. Thanks again. I'll see you.
10: I limp up the rising dirt path. At the top, I turn for a look at my ride. He's swinging around toward town. Benjamin will get to me soon. An old two-storied farmhouse rises out of the cleared fields around me. A big gray barn stands off near the house, and two old cars are sitting empty behind it. Kenny's got to come to one of them. I'll wait. Time. Still running out and away from me. Little shimmering waves of heat rise off the tin hoods of the cars. Here he comes. Now or never. Hey!
15: Help! Quiet! Quiet or I'll break your back. I want the truth, Kenny. The truth and I have to kill you for it. I didn't kill Rachel. You did! I didn't! I didn't! You killed her. You were crazy jealous. No! Yes! You came to check up. You found us drunk and you got wild. You killed her. I didn't. I can prove it. How can you prove it? That wasn't three minutes from the time I left the restaurant and the time I called Benjamin. Not enough time to get up there, kill her, and bring you around. Three minutes. I can prove it. That's all the time. You did it. You have cut hands from a knife. Those hands were still around her throat when I came in. You killed Rachel.
10: And there it is. He isn't lying about the three minutes. That gloating smirk on his face tells me that. I had killed him. The horror of this afternoon had been for nothing. I tried to save my life, and instead I proved myself guilty. Tied the rope finally and for all time around my neck.
15: Shoot him! Don't you stand there, shoot! He's the man who killed your daughter!
10: He stands there watching. The gaunt sliver of a man with shins and freshly scarred wrists exposed below the edges of his clothing. A double-barreled shotgun is cradled in his arms, but he just looks at me. A wild fire striking out of the black pupils of his eyes.
15: Shoot him! He killed your daughter! He killed Rachel!
10: So you're her father. I I
12: thought it was just another nickname. She was no daughter of mine. She was born to me, and I named her Rachel from the Bible. But she was the daughter of Satan. I'm
10: sorry, Mr. Clover.
12: Go on, shoot him! Because of him, Rachel's dead! She turned away from me, but within me the voice was strong. I followed her, begging... To the place where she lived.
10: I'm sorry. I I was drunk crazy. In that
12: apartment. The stench of drink like an evil cloud. You lying there, drunk with the devil's fever. You were there. Shut up, you crazy old fool. And it came to me. Like a voice from on high. And I knew what I must do. You killed her.
15: It wasn't me. It was you. Now you did it. Why couldn't you give your masha? And you knew he did it, Kenny. You tried to make me believe that I'd been the one. Why? You. You and Tramps like you. Always keeping her from me. Coming along every time. I couldn't know this, Kenny. You didn't care. You laughed at me. You made Rachel laugh at me. I passed the old man when I went up. I knew as soon as I walked into the room. You tried to blame it on me. Well, why not? It wasn't the crazy old goat who killed her. Now you killed her and you'll die for it. Give me that gun, old man. No, Kenny, not now. Come on, turn around, soldier. No! Turn around and see it when it happens.
2: Pull up your gun, Kenneth. Uh, No. No!
13: Get up, Jefferson. We'll go home now.
10: The sun is moving down low in the skies, and a cool, light breeze has come up from somewhere. I'm leaning back on the front seat beside Benjamin, breathing deeply, evenly, feeling the goodness of just living seep through. In the back seat, old man Clovis sits, staring ahead, not even aware of the blanket-wrapped body of Kenny lying on the floor at his
13: feet. If you hadn't been so eager to run, I could have saved your feet a lot of wear. I knew you weren't a murderer, son. You knew? I went back to the apartment. Old stories there, in the varnish on the kitchen floor. No bare feet around the body, but lots of hobnailed boot prints. You cut your hand on broken glass in the living room. It bled. (laughs) And I was running. Well, you can stop running now, son. Stay here in town with us, huh? There's lots for you to do. Thanks. Well, it's been quite a day, Benjamin. Sure has been a scorcher. Glad to see the sun going down. On a day like this, it's almost too hot to live.
10: No, don't say that, Benjamin. It never gets that hot.
11: Suspense, presented by Autolite. Tonight's star, Mr. Richard Widmark. Suspense
13: is produced and directed by Elliot Lewis, with music composed by Lucian Morawieck and conducted by Lud Gluskin. Too Hot to Live was written for Suspense by Sam Rolfe.
0: You are listening to WSHDLP Eastport. We've just heard a 1950 episode of Suspense.
16: Sand in my shoes Sand from Havana Calling me to that ever so heavenly shore Calling me back to you once more Dreams in the night Dreams of Havana Dreams of a love I haven't the strength to
2: refuse
16: Calling the sand is in my shoes Deep in my veins the sensuous strength of the socket far deep in my soul the thundering roll of a tropic sea under the stars that was Havana you are the moonlit memory I can't seem to lose That's why my life's an aimless fool All that is real is the feel of the sand in my shoes veins the sensuous strains of the soft
2: guitar
16: deep in my soul the thundering roll of a tropic
2: sea under the stars
16: you are the moonlit memory I
2: can't
16: seem That's why my life's an aimless cruise All that is real is the feel of the sand in my shoes
4: Shoe your pretty little feet Who's gonna glove your hand Who's gonna kiss your red ruby lips Who's gonna be your man Mama's gonna shew my pretty little feet Mama's gonna glove my hand Sister's gonna kiss my red ruby lips I don't need no man I don't need no man I don't need no man Said She's going to kiss my red ruby lips I don't need no man
0: Who's going to shoe your pretty little feet That was Woody Guthrie and Cisco Houston from 1945 And before that Connie Boswell with Victor Young's orchestra Sand in My Shoes, from 1941. Thank you, dear friends. This concludes today's show. On behalf of around-the-world staff of researchers, recording engineers, interns, and Victrola technicians, this is Cracklin Jane. Thank you, and see you next week! is Joan Loudon, a.k.a. The Bass Lady, inviting you to join me every Wednesday from 3 to 4.30 p.m. for The Bass Lady Presents. With a different weekly theme from jazz to Celtic, from New Grass to New Orleans, it's always a mix of great music. That's every Wednesday from 3 to 4.30 with a repeat airing on Saturdays from 4 to 5.30 p.m. right here on 93.3 FM, WSHDLP Eastport, Maine I'm all
8: about that base. Eastport, Hey, have I got a radio show for you Bold Coasting comes at you twice a week Thursday at 8, Sunday at 4 right here on WSHDLP in Eastport, Maine 93.3 FM On Bold Coasting we don't just play the music uh, we like to talk about it a little bit too It's music and commentary. It's a radio show with liner notes. You kids can ask your parents what that means.
6: Tune in every
13: Saturday night at 7 and again
6: on Tuesdays at 8 for Philly Joe Remarkables Mad Pad right here on WSHDLP Eastport, Maine, 93.3 on your FM dial.
8: Man, take this crazy pad.
14: Man, it's a mad pad. <laughs>
0: You are listening to WSHDLP Esport, broadcasting from the hallowed hallways of Shedd High School. Tune in Mondays, 4 to 6 p.m. for "Round the World with your host, Cracklin' Jane, featuring historical 78 RPM recordings from around the world, plus radio dramas from the golden age of radio. If you miss the show, don't despair. There's a repeat broadcast on Fridays, 6 to 8 p.m. And if you miss that, just go to www.cracklinjane.com and download or stream the show at your leisure. Come on by Sam's Caffeine
4: Cafe every Tuesday and Thursday morning from 8 until 10 a.m. I'm Sam, the proprietor. I keep all the tables clean, there are no sesame seeds on the floor, no schmutz from the night before, just good music. The first hour, a little bit softer, some Americana, folk, blues, a little bit of jazz, But by 9 o'clock, we are amped up on caffeine. We're playing up tempo music all hour long. It's a grab bag, it's a fun place to hang out, and we would love to have you. We would. Please come by 93.3 WSHD LP Eastport.